new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. It's Tuesday night, 9 o'clock. There is a World Series game going on, but we are live with On the Beat. Inside Carolina, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Boys on the beat, Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, Isaiah Lucas, Taylor Vipolis will join us in a second or in a few minutes. The man is a world traveler. And if you're a world traveler, you know that planes are rarely on time. So he'll be a little late. Also, if you want to participate in the YouTube chat, you need to like and subscribe to the Inside Carolina channel to do so. We hope you will. It'll get you notifications, get it sent right to your phone or however you get your YouTube to let you know when we're live or there's new content and Greg and Isaiah and Gregory are always pushing out content on that channel as well as on insidecarolina.com. And again, sponsored by Johnny t-shirt support them. Greg Barnes come to you first. <clears throat> I listened to the coaches press conferences yesterday and some of the players, and we'll hear some of those clips later. One thing that stuck out to me um, was Jay Bateman's comment that this is, it's an execution issue and for what and i know he owned it a little bit as far as coaching that but that kind of struck me as odd and, and i'll say it this way it tells me they're not changing up a whole lot or they're not tipping their hand to change up a whole lot uh, what'd you hear there i don't think there's going to be a lot of changing up to take place really on either side of the ball phil longo told us a couple weeks ago one thing they needed to do to help Sam Howe was to get the ball out of his hand a little bit quicker. And we did see that a little bit against Miami. Um, some of those quick hits, I think that's an easy change and it's really not that big of a change, right? I mean, Sam knows how to do that. That's part of the offense. They're just taking a little bit out of the decision-making out of his hands. Defensively, you can't necessarily do that. And um, I think there is some element here and, Max sounds very similar to Butch Davis and how he's talking about the program building aspect. And what I mean by that is um, vividly remember asking Butch about John Shoup's offense and why it was stagnant and why it wasn't scoring a lot of points. And you got this great defense. The offense is just not there. And this is his third year in 2009. TJ Yates is getting pennies and stuff thrown at him. Um, and what did Butch say? Butch said, it may not look like much now, but once we get the, the talent in, the same offense is going to be scoring 40 points a game. Um, today's offense, maybe you're talking about 60 points a game. Mac Brown's saying a lot of similar things, that uh, they're recruiting very well, uh, they're, they're establishing depth, they're getting elite talent. As more of those guys come in, a lot of these issues are going to be corrected. 
that will be the case. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Well, we've talked about the trajectory of the program. The issue is that right now, the defense is really struggling. Right now, the offense is really inconsistent. Big play, bad play. Uh, and so that's kind of the challenge is you're building for the future. You're building to the program, not necessarily just to this team. And so you don't want to scrap everything and change everything when you know it's going to be really good next year. But it's that middle ground, right? It's, okay, we know the talent next year, and the next year is going to be a lot better. It's going to solve some of these issues. But what do we do now? Uh, and the fact that Jay Bateman reiterates the execution part of it, I think that kind of tells us that they're going to keep beating the same drum. Uh, Jason Staples has talked about how Jay Bateman has not really gotten that sophisticated in what he wants to do. They've run a lot of base stuff this year. Um, and because of that, he's wanting these guys to understand what they're supposed to be doing. And he believes that if they just execute a little bit better, the defense will be able to take significant steps forward. That remains to be seen a lot of tough games ahead, but I think that's the strategy moving forward. Greg, you mentioned the base defense. Um, first two years, and really, I guess the first year, what my mind to Jay Bateman's defense goes to that game against Clemson with the stunting and some of the twists that they did to get to Trevor Lawrence. Because, and Jay's talked about at the beginning of this season, they needed to do that based on the talent that they had and the experience and things like that to get to the quarterback. This season, it was, we need guys that can win their one-on-one -on -one battles and get to the quarterback. And that really hasn't happened. The frequency that we kind of expected. So where has that change happened or does it need to at this point? Is it too hard to throw that in there at this point, as far as getting pressure on quarterbacks and, and things like that and getting out, getting back more to that complexity, even though it's, it's never really been complex, but still a little bit different than what we've been seeing so far. Well, when you're talking about the stunts and those types of things you can do unique up front, um, you have to be very careful in your, in how, how you process that and your execution of it, because you can very easily get pushed out of a gap. And if you leave a gap exposed, then you can get hit pretty hard. Uh, and we saw that some the last two years, they've kind of gotten away from that because they, they feel pretty good about the pieces they have up front. They, they really like Ray of uh, They really like miles Murphy. And so when you've got good talented pieces uh, that can absorb a block and maybe clog up the lanes a little bit, you want those guys to be able to do what they they do best. Um, those are not individual. Murphy's kind of getting to this point. Vahasic for sure is not a guy that's going to really get after the passer. But if he can clog enough gaps, that allows some of the linebackers to really get into play. And that allows like a Jacarius Conley to come in and be able to, to close up a gap and, and get some of those tackles for loss, which is really the key. Everybody needs to understand what Jay Bateman is wanting to do is to get stops on certain plays. So tackle for loss, a turnover, a sack, those kind of things is what he's looking for. Because once you start adding those, the offense's possession gets very difficult. Um, the stats are pretty astounding there. I mean, I think if uh, there's a sack on a possession, only 50% of those score points. Whereas if you don't have a sack, you know, your odds of scoring on a possession increases dramatically. So that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to limit some of those explosive plays uh, and, and do things a little bit different, but it's still the same base scheme, right? Um, it's still kind of, you're still going to see guys come in from the cornerback position on some blitzes. You're still going to see the safety come up. You're still, still going to see outside linebackers and even a defensive lineman drop into coverage. Uh, 
because you want to have simulated pressure. What that means is he's not going to send five and six guys a lot. He's going to send four, five, rarely six guys, but he's going to send them from maybe the left side so that there's too many guys for three offensive linemen to block. And so that's more of what he's really focusing on, not doing so much of the stoning and those kind of things we've seen in the past. Isaiah, looking at this defense, you've got a, a bye week. They don't like to call it an off week because they're working. But um, do you expect any more of these young guys to get some reps? I mean, obviously, Ritzy has gotten a ton of reps. Um, Keyshawn Silver has not. But th that's the one thing people ask me all the time is, when are they going to play some of the young guys? Power, rah-rah. We hear about it all the time. And last season, and Greg, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it was about this week, maybe next week, when the freshmen really started playing. So, Isaiah, do, do you expect to see anything differently from the defensive side as far as personnel Saturday in Notre Dame? Um, Just because of the environment and things like that, I don't think we'll see as much different just because you're going to need guys with experience to go into an environment like that and kind of they need to perform really. So I think coaching staff will call on the older guys and the younger guys will just have to hold off for a little while longer. That'll be an interesting thing, right, Greg, is, you know, this, this stretch of games is probably the toughest stretch of games Carolina certainly had under Mike Brown. 2.0, I think. You, you know, sure. you, NC State is going to be good. Pitt is really good. Wake Forest, I mean, there's people in the chat talking about how Wake Forest gave up 56 to Army. Um, Wake Forest is legit, and they have given Carolina trouble even when they're not any good. Um, so, if not this weekend, when? Against a veteran Wake Forest team? Against a, a, a loaded pit team on a short week? I, I mean, I think now's the time. Though I agree with Isaiah. The environment's going to be different. They have not played well on the road. But the old guys had not played well on the road either. So, what do you think? So, uh, there's two things here. Number one, Mac brought it up, and we've talked about it on this podcast before. But when he was at Texas and when he was in Chapel Hill back in the 90s, especially the last couple of years, they were beating everybody by 30 points. And so what happens is, is you've got all this depth and you can play your twos and the threes and everybody stays happy and everybody's playing and they're having a good time. You can get some young guys playing time because there's no pressure on them. All those things. And you have great morale. They have not had that during his time here in Chapel Hill. I mean, through whatever it is now, seven games, 32 games. I mean, how many games have been like legitimate blowouts? Not many. And so I think the, the factors that you and Isaiah have mentioned are, are on point. The other aspect of it is we know that, that Rara and Power and Javari Ritzy and Bryson Nesbitt, they've already played more than their allotted four games, right? You can play up to four games and keep your eligibility, get to keep that red shirt year. But then you got DeAndre Boykins, who has played four games. You got Caleb Hood, who has played four games. If either of those two, two guys play one more game, one more snap and one more game, then they've burned the red shirt. So to your point, Tommy, I mean, it's Notre Dame, Wake Forest will be top 25. Wofford's one where a lot of these guys can get a lot of, lot of work. But then at Pitt, that's going to be really tough at state. So even if they get into play, I mean, DeAndre Boykins, let's use him as an example. Let's say we'll say at Pitt. 
How many snaps is he going to be able to get at Pitt? Reasonably. I mean, 10, maybe? So are you willing to burn an entire season for that kid for 10 extra snaps in live game action? Um, and that's that's the math that these coaches were trying to figure out. Like, you know, Caleb Hood, Mac talked about him. Like, if Caleb's ready to go Saturday, you play him because you've got at least five games left, maybe six, likely six if you get to a bowl game. Um, and you want him to continue. He can help you for sure, but you want him to continue to get better so he can he can really step forward next year. But a lot of these other guys, I mean, Balfour's played two games. J.J. Jones has only played one, but Phil Longo's really talked him up. So a lot of different things that go into this. If there's a position that you play the young guys, I think it's receiver. Um, just because of the struggles and you're trying to look for something and some spark. And Longo was asked and talked about J.J. Jones, but really when he was talking about the young guys on offense, I mean, he talked about J.J. Jones, Gavin Blackwell, um, Bryson Nesbitt, who we've seen flashes. And I believe Nesbitt might be the highest graded in his small sample size as far as pro football focus goes. Kind of like, um, is it Ra-Ra? I think Ra-Ra on the other end, right? right? Small yep. sample size, but they've excelled in their small snaps. So if there's a position that you play the young guys at, I think it is receiver because now with Caleb, that's, I mean, yeah, you play him because um, you think he's probably gone in three years anyway. He's not going to stay long-term just because of his talent level. But Ty Chandler and DJ Jones have shown in the last two weeks and really a lot that they've been that they've can do what you want them to do. But the receivers have not outside of Josh Downs. So I think that's where you might see JJ Jones. I'm not saying this weekend, but definitely these last last what five games. Well, here's the deal with that. And somebody mentioned it and I was about to ask it on, on the board. And and Isaiah, you can chime in. Anybody can chime in. If guys are good, they're not staying five years anyway. Uh, they rarely stay four years anymore. Um, if you remember people like um, that go like, didn't Geo redshirt and he played, so he played his redshirt freshman year, redshirt sophomore year. Did he play his redshirt junior year? I can't remember. Anyway, if somebody blows up as a redshirt freshman, they're not going to be there past year two, their redshirt sophomore year. Anyway. Geo played two years. Yeah. So – by redshirting him, if he redshirted, he may have been hurt. But point stands, you're not getting but two years out of a good guy when you could get three. Now, that being said, and, and Isaiah, you can chime in here, is how are the guys going to get experience to play next year, Greg, if they don't play this year? I understand saving a season, but it, it really is a waiting game, Isaiah, isn't it? Or not a waiting game, a balancing game for these coaches. Personally, if I was the coach, I'm playing them all. Play them all. That's my my mantra, especially when they're young and talented. What do you think, Isaiah? I think it just comes really down to performance. And if a guy come, if you see there there's a position where a guy change needs to be made, if you feel like the chance is there to take take it, give him a chance. If he's doing good, I mean, then of course you keep riding with him. But if not, then it it really is a balancing act. You you have to find who you're willing to take that risk on. Yeah. And if folks didn't listen to Mac in the press conference, go back and watch it again at inside Carolina's YouTube channel. He, he talks a lot about the balancing act and we've talked about it here on this podcast and on others. Um, and a lot of people are asking about Nesbitt's 
um, putting Nesbitt out wide. I'm going to wait for Taylor Viplis to come in on that. So, Vip, since Vip is a receiver, he can explain maybe um, why that's not as simple. Gregory, his, go ahead. His Uber ETA is in four minutes. So, <laughs> uh, Tommy, to, to follow up on what Isaiah said there, this is really kind of a unique situation as well because when kids have played in the past, it's number one, out of necessity where you've had to put a young guy out there just because body count, right? Or the freshman or the you know, sophomore is so talented that they need to play to help you win. But I think a lot of these guys this year are in the middle ground where they don't have to play out of necessity because there's enough guys. And they're not necessarily the best guys out there, even though they do make some splash plays. But to your point, Tommy, they are guys the team's going to need next year and the next year. So uh, it's not clear cut. And it really is because we don't get to see these guys in practice every single day. It really is guys that pop um, and that they pop it at different times of the year and at different points of their career. Um, but only the, the coaches know that. And then they have to weigh, okay, well, we think power is going to be a great middle linebacker for us. But is he good enough right now to sub for not only Jeremiah Gimmel, but Cedric Gray as well? I mean, I would say no, but again, that would be up to the coaches. It is a it's a it's a weird dynamic, but I just think if we'll use Ra Ra, he doesn't play. Um, well, he's going to burn his shirt. But anyway, they're not going to be there beyond three years. So I think you need to get them in there. Somebody mentioned ruining some reps, uh, ruins them some confidence. I remember some of the bunning linemen, defensive linemen, I'm not going to call them out by names, but they threw one of them in there. Um, I think at a defensive lineman spot and he got run over several times. He was never the same. Vipolis coming in while Vipolis is coming in. Somebody asked, what did I catch at Beaufort? Caught a little bit of trout, caught a big, huge Spanish, um, Called a bunch of flounder, but thanks to North Carolina law, you have to throw flounders back. Caught a big, huge, big, huge Spanish what? Mackerel. Oh, oh, okay. oh, my fault. My fault. Spanish mackerel is a fish. King mackerels are even bigger fish. Um, the locals call them Spanish or kings. Good eating too. So I've already had a bunch, but yes. Vip, get you in hot from uh, overseas, the world traveler. Tell me why or why not put Nesbitt out wide as opposed to in the tight end position would be a good thing, a bad thing, or something Carolina should try. I think it's something that Carolina should at least explore that option. Um, it's been something I've been saying ever since, I think, that Georgia State game where you saw the athleticism that he put on uh, display now it was against Georgia state, but at the same time, like he, he comes in with the profile that he's more of an athlete than a football player to start with his experience and his background kind of getting into football late. But, you know, if it's, it's something where Kamari Morales, Garrett Walson, they've kind of already established what they could do at the tight end position while the receivers really haven't done too much to separate or um, kind of break out the way Carolina kind of thought they would. 
So it's, it's a case where if you could get another athlete on the field, like Bryson Nesbitt, then you should at least explore that possibility and see if it, it is something that can be a reality because I, I'm a, I'm huge fan of Nesbitt and think that, um, that his potential is, is off the charts. I think even before in the spring, when somebody asked me for a dark horse guy for this year, I said, uh, Nesbitt, just because I like his profile and, how he kind of projects at the tight end position with his, his size and speed. Vip, I want to talk to you about wide receivers for a minute. Um, I believe Gregory can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think this is right. Josh Downs had at 14 of the 17 targets for wide receivers in the game against Miami. And those numbers weren't quite that shocking earlier in the year, but as the season has progressed, it seems like, uh, well, the running backs have gotten a little bit more involved, and, and he's, you know, Sam Howell's liking the tight ends a little bit more. He's really just kind of lasered in on, on Josh Downs. Um, Bill Longo talked to us on Monday about some of the young guys that have started to make some moves, and J.J. Jones, uh, Pesor. I'm curious your opinion. Like, is the issue here the talent in terms of the personnel? Is it still – primarily on Sam kind of locking in on guys and maybe some confidence and trust issues with the other guys. Um, I guess my question is, do you need to see JJ Jones and some of those guys get opportunities now, or is there more behind the scenes and just the, the name on the back of the Jersey at wide receiver? Yeah, I think it's, if I had to kind of guess where most of these problems are coming from, it's, it's that trust issue between Howell and the receivers green and Simmons, because, you know, oh, I, I know the, the default is to say that these receivers aren't creating separation, but like, like I've said before, you can't tell me these guys are running 40, 40 pass routes per game and they're not creating any separation at all in their routes to even get one, two targets a game. So I think it's, it's something where, Howell had the confidence in these guys going into week one. They didn't make plays going into week two, you know, not, not the, the best competition going into week three, still didn't really see them making a ton of plays. And then as a quarterback, once, once they don't start to make plays a couple of times, you're kind of off them. You're going to go to guys that you know, that can make the plays, even if, even if your reads are saying, maybe you should look elsewhere because when you do go to them, they're either not catching the contested balls, they're not creating separation, or they're just dropping passes. So I think it's uh, a more of a lack of trust. So if I'm Carolina it, during this bye week, I think you have to get as many young guys as possible reps um, just, just to see what they can do and see if you can build that trust this late in the season. Uh, I'm kind of hesitant to think that Carolina can plug in a – a JJ Jones or Kobe pace or, and kind of expect great results, but it's not like the results you're getting right now from the wide receivers are, are enough to be like, you know, we, we can't try something else. So I think, I think with what you've seen so far that um, there's really no downside to trying out a guy like JJ Jones or Kobe pace or for reps here and there, because it's, it's, they're still not getting targets either way. And Taylor, Greg, you were correct, by the way. It was 14 out of 17. Okay. Taylor, a lot of issues with the offense. Is is the lack of a vertical passing game number one? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think, I think when people talk about like what Carolina is missing the most from last year, the default is to always say uh, Javante and Michael Carter. And while those two guys are missing, uh, missing is a huge presence. I think Deami Brown is right up there with what, those guys kind of brought to this team and having somebody who can consistently take the top off. I've compared it to um, the 2016 UNC team where Mac Hollins goes down in the Miami game and all of a sudden teams are just bracketing Ryan Switzer and everybody's like, we still have Mitch. We still have Switz. Like why isn't this offense as productive? And it's just because you don't have that vertical threat. You don't have somebody else that the defense really has to respect. Bug Howard was a great receiver. Austin Prohl was a great receiver, but nobody who could take off the top of a defense with like Mac with his speed and his size and his ability to kind of stretch the field. And I think that's what you're kind of seeing now where the field is condensing and you don't have as many places to go with the ball. Yeah, and Tommy, about that if you is... go back to 2016, Tommy, Mitch Trubisky early in the year was a Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, he lost his deep threat, like Taylor said, in, in the Miami game. And his he all of a sudden became a worse quarterback. So yeah. a lot of parallels there. Yeah, and the thing is, is he lost Mac on an underthrown ball that – he had to wait on and end up getting rolled up and breaking a collarbone in the right VIP. And that yeah. what he did. And um, so, yeah, it was a, a bad situation all around. And the thing about Diami or Diami taking the top off. Diami, uh, Mr. Brown, number one. <laughs> no, excuse me, number two. Number one left the building. Uh, he takes two <laughs> defenders with him, right? If he doesn't take two defenders with him, it's a win. It's a touchdown. So he drags two defenders out of the play. Every time he ran a route, um, I, I agree with Taylor. I think they need to try something. Um, it was interesting to me to hear Longo more amenable to doing that. Um, and somebody mentioned he sounded like Longo was a little more humble in some of the press conference this week than he had been. I do agree with that. It remains to be seen whether they do it. I think Notre Dame missing Hamilton might provide some opportunities to make some hay down the field. Or at least over middle. Go ahead, Gregory. Speaking You're raising of, your hand like a student in a class. I'm I mean, would you rather – you want me to talk over you, right? Just go what like are we that. doing? Go like this. That's what I did. Yeah. Speaking of Hamilton, um, I, this is like – I thought it was interesting. Um, yeah, like, hello, um, Sam <laughs> in the press conference today. True, we could use that. Sam in the press <laughs> conference today was like he mentioned Kyle Hamilton being injured but wasn't like – like, yeah, he's out. When it's like it was announced, he was out. I just I just thought that was a little strange. Are they, like, trying to watch TV? I mean, but wouldn't wouldn't the game plan-wise be like, this guy's not going to be in here. These are the guys that are, right? I don't know. Does the I'm game just, plan just change me. for one guy? Not the game plan, but just, like, who to expect to be out on the field. I don't know. I just thought I it was know. a little strange. I think we all learned our lesson, didn't we, last year, Greg? talking about Notre Dame had two offensive linemen out, two senior offensive linemen out, and they didn't it, miss a beat. It did not matter. <laughs> it would, did not matter. Isaiah, so let's, uh, since we don't have you later in the week on the game plan, give me give me an offensive breakout player that we might see Saturday against Notre Dame. And we've talked about a lot of options, but um, give me somebody that you think that might surprise the Carolina fan base, especially coming off a of bye week. Mm. Hmm. The hot seat. Put you on the hot seat. Um, 
I think Morales would be could have the potential to break out. I Everybody think. Agree. Yeah, I think I think he could just based off the way he can play, the way he can be used. I think he could be someone sneaky that you get the ball to, you can create in space if need be. I mean, if anyone's going to step up when they're double covering Josh Downs, I think it's got to, it's going to be Morales at this point. That's what we've seen, right? So I'd agree that I mean, if there's going to be somebody, that's going to be. It could be a receiver, but until they prove it, I think it's hard to project an outside receiver as a breakout player when we haven't really seen it at all, right? So I agree with Isaiah. I don't disagree there, but I mean, I feel like everybody else is a known quantity at this point. So if somebody does break out. Something I forgot to ask, and I asked you this, Vip, since we talked about earning trust earlier with the young guys. I thought it interesting that they said Sam hadn't practiced much these last two weeks or, or the during the bye week, um, and he got a lot of reps for the younger quarterbacks, Chris Well or, or Drake May. When you're trying to build confidence and chemistry and all that, is that weird? I mean, is that something that was weird, or did I just read too much into it? Uh, yeah, without knowing how they exactly broke down the reps, I think that is kind of strange for trying to build this late into the season. I know that the the expectation is that Howell won't be there uh, next year, but it seems like something where you worry about next year when next year gets here. Um, and like you mentioned, the 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 chemistry hasn't been there between Howell and the receivers or Howell and the running backs out of the backfield. I think a lot more people kind of expected Ty Chandler to be uh, a bigger impact in, in the passing game this year. And he only has seven catches. And that's, that's another scenario where when he's, when he's releasing on these swing routes, some of the time Sam Howell is not even looking at him. It's, it's Josh Downs one taking off with the run too. So I think it is kind of strange to not see uh, somebody like Sam Howell taking the majority of the reps, but Mac Brown must have a reason for what he's doing and why he's playing Drake May and Jacoby Criswell. Yeah, look, I can shed some light on this. A couple of things. Number one, as Mac mentioned the other day, and he said this in the past, uh, the, the data that they have indicate that most injuries occur in the preseason, during training camp, and during the bye week. And the reason why is historically, traditionally, what people have done is when they get to the bye week, uh, they, they start tackling some and start hitting harder, especially with some of the younger guys. That's where some of that comes from. The way that Mac has handled bye weeks, though, since he's been here, is it's an opportunity for some of the younger guys to get a lot of reps. Now, typically what happens is you have, you know, depending on the position, you have your two deep, maybe even your three deep, that get the bulk of the reps during a standard game week. So the way North Carolina practices, they're off Monday. They practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, pretty hard, have a walkthrough Friday. And then they go through corrections on, on Sunday after the game. That's how it's set up. So when you only have three true practices each week, you really want to make sure the guys that are playing get the bulk of those snaps. And so because of that, some of the younger guys don't get as much. Now, not necessarily true with the quarterback position this year, because Drake May and Jacoby Criswell have, have kind of split the backup reps, so they've gotten plenty of action. However, what the goal was last week, and we just talked about trying to get some of these young guys on the field, the goal last week was to be able to let the guys that play a lot of snaps rest, get healthy, some big games coming up. And when you do that, 
you can really structure practices with the other guys. So it's not geared directly for Notre Dame, even though there are elements there. It's for a lot of these guys just to practice almost like it's preseason or spring practice and get a lot of reps and see exactly how much they're developing during the course of the season. Because in a standard week, you don't get to see that as much. Now, when you when you want to talk about Sam Howe, I mean, Taylor's points are on point there. Yours too, Tommy. You don't have that chemistry that maybe you've had in the past and you're trying to build that. Uh, I'm sure we'll see a lot more of, of that this week in practice. But I think last week was really about trying to get Chriswell and May further along in their development. You know they're going to get to play against Wofford. Um, maybe one of these other games, North Carolina plays better and is able to surprise somebody with the blowout and they get some snaps there. But you're just running out of time to really see these guys develop before you get into the offseason. And so I think that's kind of the, the point that they're trying to do, and that's, that's the effort, and that's why they handled the open date the way they did. I find it interesting. Maybe they throw off to the side. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. They can um, come in the backyard with me and my son and, and yeah, really. a little bit, right? I tell you, them boys throw different, though. Uh, <laughs> kind of like Tony Grimes talking about Notre Dame. Them, boy, them boys big. Uh, them college quarterbacks, they'll drill a hole in your boy's head trying to catch that ball. <laughs> Maybe we should get Ross on the jugs gun. The jugs, again. that's right. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> do y'all remember that? That was hilarious. If folks never saw that video, um, yeah. Let's, uh, let me take a second to talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com, and get this ad read in. If you listen to Sherelle McMillan on Twitter, he tells you that Johnny T-Shirt's the place to get gear. And if you listen to me on here, it's because they're the sponsors of this podcast, but they're also great at what they do. And they're great at customer service for you guys. And they are going to be the place you need to go to get your gear. This shirt, it's not available anymore. It's Johnny T-Shirt shirt from back in the day so they were hooking inside carolina up a long time ago we need to continue to support them i'm gonna let the national guys pay the bills rate review and subscribe if you want to ask a question on the chat gregory has been putting them together we got a lot of good content coming after the break but i'm gonna let the national guys pay the bills we'll come back on the beat live got the whole crew here we'll be right back i'm mark chapman welcome to the planet premier league podcast each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ, Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner I. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. All right, we're back. It's on the beat live. Gregory Hall running the board. Isaiah Lucas, Greg Barnes, and Taylor Vipolis here. Greg, you just slacked a question, and this is a good question for everybody. And I don't even want to try to say his name, but DJU from Clemson. Uwe Angulale. Uwe Angulale, right. Yeah. I could say it on a normal day. but He I couldn't even say Diami's name right. You think he's going to say Uwe Angulale correctly? Uwe Angulale. Nope. 
There the dude that plays quarterback for Clemson. Taylor, why is somebody ranked so high and yet has performed so poorly relative to his ranking? Two-part question. How does that happen? And is it fair to the kid to have those kind of expectations, not live up to them, expectations that he didn't set, and then he struggles Where's the blame lie there? Is it on the coaches? Is it on the player? Is it somewhere in between? What's your take, Taylor? Because you've been on that field and seen the, the pressure these guys are under. I think it's, it's first and foremost, it's hard to evaluate uh, high school players and the level of talent they're going up against. I think sometimes you could see these five-star quarterbacks or these five-star offensive linemen or the five-star wide receivers and then you're kind of looking up who, who they're going up against, and it's kids that aren't even going to get any type of uh, any type of uh, college look. So it's almost like how do you kind of evaluate those guys when they're up? And that's why the camps are such a big point of emphasis. And if a kid goes in and a kid's just really athletic, there's a chance he can, you know, perform really well one weekend at a camp, get a bunch of offers. One school starts to offer – it's like a, once one school offers, it's like a, a wait and see type of thing. Clemson offers and then Alabama is going to offer Ohio State's offering. And it's it's easy for these expectations to kind of get out of control once you throw these five star or these high four star rankings. And I it's it's something where I think it kind of comes with the territory of of being a high profile uh, quarterback or a high profile college football player where you know you're, you're going to get all the the perks that come with the expectations and uh now with the nil deals where you know dj's in, in 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 these commercials um so if if he doesn't perform well i think that's just part of what comes with the territory it's not fair but it's it's almost what you sign up for when you are in this uh, this high-profile spot like being a quarterback at Clemson or just being a Power 5 college football player in general. And, and I relate that twofold. One, to Carolina's expectations in the preseason, how much of that was um, based off last year and how much of that was built by us and the fans and all that and how much of it was realistic. But uh, Greg – DJU was great two games last year. I mean, they lost to Notre Dame up there, but he went nuts. What happened? Was it the offensive line? Is Travis Etienne just that that good? Um, slash Javante and Michael Carter just that good to make the quarterback and the line good? I mean, it's just a weird dynamic, I think. And I think it's relevant what's going on with him with the Carolina program as well. I'm trying to tie it back into Chapel Hill. Yeah, well, a lot of it, too, last year was that nobody knew what to expect out of him. And people this year have game film on him. Um, but to, to look at this from a, a wider scope, I think people make the mistake of, of thinking that recruiting rankings are flawless, which they're not, um, for a lot of the reasons that, that Taylor laid out there. And if you're an inside Carolina subscriber – uh, Don Callahan's one of the best in the business. I'd say he's probably the best in the business. And the reason why is D. because he, especially in the state of North Carolina, 
He goes to all these high schools. He talks to all these coaches. He's built relationships over the last 15 years. Um, he, he can look at kids. It's one thing to look at a kid on film and, and look at him in person, see his athleticism, his build, his quickness, all those things. But even that doesn't encompass the intangibles, right? Like, is he a good leader? Is he a good teammate? How does he respond to coaches? How does he respond to criticism? All these kind of things. Because Don goes all these places, he sees that. He understands that. And Don's been really good with his recruiting rankings. But he'll be the first to tell you, it's not a flawless art form, right? And the reason I bring that up is I've, I've over the last 10 years, you know, the first couple of years I was with IC, I was really into you know, every single recruit. I don't think you can do that uh, from a football's pr- perspective. You have to really look at the classes in general and say, okay, is this a top 15 class? Is this a top 25? And the reason why is 247 has done a lot of this uh, data mining. A lot of different websites have. But when you look at the NFL draft and you look at five stars, only a little bit more than 50% of those five stars are drafted. Okay? So it's close to like 60%. But basically, one out of two five stars gets drafted. I'm not talking about first round. I'm talking about the entire draft. So what you're saying is, if you look at North Carolina's recruiting class, Pick which one of Travis Shaw and Zach Rice is not going to be drafted. That's what we're talking about here. And I, everybody looking at this and say, wait a minute, both those guys are going to be elite top 10 guys, right? Well, that's the hope. But so many things go into this. I think like 6% of three stars get, get drafted. Uh, so it, it is just a difficult thing to kind of pinpoint. And guys, you know, whether it's injury, whether it's a situation at home, whether it's a girlfriend, so many things that pop up. Some guys, yeah, they're just overrated. Some guys don't have the drive that's necessary at the college level. Um, so it's just hard to kind of figure out you know, where the fault lies, right? Because you can't get all this stuff right. Um, and I still think, to your point, Tommy, DJ looked good last year. We, we know he's got a good arm. I mean, he looks like he's prototypical quarterback with his size. And maybe it's just a learning curve thing. And maybe next year he'll be a lot better. We'll have to wait and see, um, but he certainly <laughs> he certainly didn't look good this year. And so, what, let me let me chime in on that. What is? Give me a breakdown, and Isaiah, you can go first. I'm gonna go across the room. Give me a breakdown: percentage of talent versus percentage of coaching development. It's got to equal a hundred. Um, where do you lie there? I, I think it's seventy percent coaching 30% talent on the college level. What do you think, Isaiah? Mm, I'd say 60-40. So more emphasis on like oh, talent is more important? No, I'd say 60% coaching, 40% talent. What do you think, Taylor? Uh, I would also add the aspect that Greg was talking about, the – the mindset from a player and how coachable he is. And I would probably say it's like 40, 40, 20 with, with that last aspect coming in, because I've seen players that come in with five-star rankings, not naming any names. And it's almost like they can't process that they're no longer the, the best person in uh, where in high school, like you dominate all these kids and you can't really process all of a sudden that everybody here is just as talented and, 
when when that first sign of adversity comes, you know, you you kind of uh, go back in your shell and, you know, you start blaming the coaches for why you're not playing or you start blaming this and that for why you're not playing. So I think it, it takes a, a special person to kind of get through that first that first wave of adversity when, you know, you look around and you're playing with a bunch of all Americans and you're playing with a bunch of guys who are just as fast, if not faster, just as strong, if not stronger than you. So I think that aspect is also something that uh, you really have to take into account for. And I think that's something that fans often forget that this, this is such a big jump from the high school to the college level. Now let's look at my guy who at the beginning of this season, I was all in on. Right. Does no does Evans. <laughs> um Des Evans, right? Remember when he was dropped from a five star to a four star when two four seven came out, like when the ra- rankings re came out and the fire that was the message boards like, oh you're they're screwing Carolina by dropping the rankings and why is Des moving? Blah 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 blah. And he, I mean he's still this is a four star and is still UNC's eighth highest rated, I guess he's seventh. He's UNC's seventh highest rated recruit all time, right? Like, and he's got zero sacks on the year, and he's just not, he doesn't have the confidence. He, someone mentioned swagger as something that's up there. Like, you can have all the talent in the world, and it kind of goes with mindset, swagger and mindset, right? It was just like, I mean, the coaches, it's not like the coaching staff is ignoring Desmond Evans, Right. And he's got the talent. We've seen it in practice. I mean, I've seen it with our own eyes, my own eyes in the open practice and spring practice, as far as like what he's capable of. But when it comes to game time, he's in the wrong spots. He's not, he's maybe things are still moving a little bit too fast. The next year could come out and be fantastic. Right. So I think I liken it to the Bears and Mitch Trubisky. Mitch was not ready to run that offense in that team one year out when he only really had one year as a starter in college football, right? It's kind of like high school to college, college, to the NFL. Sometimes these guys get thrown into the fire and they're not, they're just not ready. Also, it has to do how to deal with tools around Mitch and obviously the bears offense. We've seen it with whoever's back there has not been great, but it's the same deal maybe with DJU as far as like, yeah, he looks great last year. He comes this year. The tools aren't the same. And it's just too too quick for some of the guys just because they dominated in high school. It doesn't mean that they can dominate in college right out of the bat. Des Evans in high school dominated, right? And he's not doing it here. It's not doesn't mean he's a bad player at this as it currently stands. He could still be great. It's not like his career is his career is over, right? So that's kind of my that's how I view the stars and whatnot. Someone said leave the stars at the door. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's great. And you want to go get the talent. You want to go get Zach Rice. You want to go get Travis Shaw because they are talented, but then they're still going to come here and Travis Shaw is still going to compete with Javari Ritzy and Keyshawn Silver. And he might not get immediate time like we think. So yeah, there you go. Well, if I'm being honest, I was told by somebody in Lee County that the defensive end on the other side of the ball, other side of the line from Evans was the better of the bunch. He was just like five, nine or something. And he ended up somewhere like app state and he'll be the kind that kills Carolina next year. Yeah. I was also going to say that that was one of the things that I think coach Fedora did the best kind of get that mindset that once you guys come in, the stars don't matter. The rankings don't matter. 
Uh, I think one time even we were all in like the auditorium and he like had everybody stand up who, who got like some kind of recognition and like, you know, more than half of the team stood up and it was kind of like that awakening moment where, you know, we're, we're all on the same playing field. And I think you kind of saw that with who kind of emerged from his teams where you have guys like, Cole Holcomb being a, a great leader on the Carolina team. You have guys from the 2015 team like uh, Mac Hollins and Jeff Schottmer, where once, once they were coming into Carolina, nobody would have said that those guys would be two of the, the four captains or two of the five captains, maybe by the end of the 2015 season with like Landon Turner. And um, I think Quinshot Davis might've been the other captain. So like you, you might've been able to project that Quinshot was going to be one of those guys, but I don't think anybody would have had uh, Mac Hollins, the, the deep snapper slash safety when he came in or cornerback when he came in. And then Jeff Schottmer, who was an undersized you know, linebacker, or was he a big safety? So I think that was one thing that the, the previous staff was really good at kind of getting guys in the mindset where what's going to get you on the field is production. Taylor, I wanted to ask you, one of the great examples that kind of stands out to me is, is Queese. Um, I vividly remember when he first came in, uh, I believe it was spring practice after, I guess that was 2011. Um, but some of the guys in the program, uh, staff members were saying, yeah, it's only a matter of time before he's playing a different position because passing is just not his thing. Uh, and it was kind of a known thing that great athlete, big guy, probably be a good tight end. Uh, and then, you know, he had the issue where he had to, had to skip spring ball because of academics and then ends up becoming this incredible leader had one of the best seasons that North Carolina has ever had at quarterback in 2015. You were with him for a couple of those years. Did you, did you see him just develop and mature in surprising ways those last couple of years? Yeah, I would say he, he definitely matured um, and he would be the first person to admit that. But I think the biggest thing with Queese is that every day he kind of came in with the same mindset, like, we, we never, we never, you never had to be the one to kind of pick up somebody like Queese because he was going to back himself. He always had a ton of confidence. He always had the biggest smile out when he was on the field and you knew he was going to bring the positivity. And it was just a, uh, something where if he could just get his, his off the field stuff settled that eventually his talent was going to kind of take over. And I think, I can't believe I, f I forgot that when I was listening out the, the 2015 captains with how good Queese was, but uh, yeah, the, the 2015 team, I think, I think when you look at the biggest difference between that team and r really any team Carolina's had since, since I've been following, at least it was the, the leaders on that team where, you know, Queese wasn't drastically more talented than anybody else. Uh, Landon Turner wasn't drastically more talented shot Shaq, Mac Collins, those guys, it, it was just those guys bought in and it trickled down from player one to player 125 or whatever. And we all knew that we had kind of the same voice in the locker room and we were all going to hold each other accountable. There's, they brought in uh, this, like these Marines in the off season 
uh, in between 2014 and 2015, which could be an entirely separate podcast of like a round table of guys talking about stories from those two days, which were borderline traumatic. But uh, from from that, it, it was kind of they taught us that um, leading by example is just doing your job and leading by example at the college football level isn't good enough. You have to be able to hold the guy next to you accountable because at the end of the day, if they're not doing their job, it's going to cost the team. And I think the 2015 team really bought in, especially after that first loss where we, we were like, we're a much better team than what we just put on the field, even though it was basically just red zone turnovers that kind of cost the South Carolina game. But you saw a, a total buy-in from the first team to the scout teams where everybody was kind of like this, let's reset our goals and reset the focus and really buy in. You got my back. That's where that came from. Yeah. The, uh, that's a, I'd love to hear the guys talk about that. Um, the Marines know if you just do your job, that's fine. If your partner doesn't do his job, you might get shot. And yeah. so pretty cool story. Maybe we can get that podcast together one day. Let's, uh, let's answer some questions on Gregory Hall has pulled some questions off the, uh, okay. For one, somebody asked Greg and Gregory, do we expect Bo back this year? That that's becoming like the question that's asked every time you turn around, Greg, give me the, give me the most, I don't want to say the final word on Bo Corrales, but what is the latest expectation to get that one out of the way first well Bo has not been ruled out but I think what people need to realize is that that he's not back practicing 100 percent and so what that means is he's he's working his way back he is not fully practiced in about a year now Uh, we're we're a month away from the regular season finale at NC State it's putting a lot of hope and expectation on him to dramatically get better to where he can actually take the field and be a factor for UNC this year. Uh, the fact that, you know, there's a the potential for him to return, of course, is, is great for him. Uh, hopefully he'll be able to come back and, and play some. We'll have to wait and see exactly how much he's, he's coming along. Uh, but he's just had a rough go of it and, uh, you know, dealt with the, the sports hernia last year. I think it's had some complications related to that this off season. Uh, so when you're talking about the, the core, it's, it's very problematic and it's tough to kind of deal with and overcome. So uh, maybe he comes back, but if, if you're, if you're hoping that he comes in and he's the, the bow of old and is automatically going to be like this number two guy that we thought he could be, I think that's asking a little bit too much at this point in time. And if you saw his social media, when he had that surgery, I, I'm not, Do we know sure. what those clumps were. I'm not quite sure what that was. That it was not normal. Does Bo have a year? Greg, well, does he? I would have to look. I would think at, I, at worst he could get medical red shirt, and then you got the COVID year. But yeah, his just get healthy. Yeah, well, I've been watching Bo Corrales play football for a long time. Well, he uh, he hadn't played football in a year and a half, so we've talked about him enough. You're entering uh, Devin Ramsey territory. <laughs> so, Who's that? Yeah. Perry Ellis, Kansas basketball. Bo played in his beer. true freshman season in 2017. So, yes, he, he should have a year available. This nice. would have been his 
This would have been his fourth, fifth year, though. Last year was his fourth year. Correct. Last year didn't count. So this would have been his fourth year, but if he doesn't count, he doesn't play, then he's got next year. Got it. Right. Yeah. Like Tamon Fox played in 16. Yes. So. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, God, the club. Uh, yeah, Tamon Fox was in that Georgia game. That's, that's right. He played good in that game, too. Yeah. yeah. I know, really. Everybody else from that Georgia game's like graduated and had babies and on retirement. And he's still out there. Uh, Isaiah, who do you think gets Clyde Pender's reps? I, I'm not quite sure how many reps he got. What do he get? 20 on the season, perhaps. Uh, they talk about Keyshawn or KBJ. Isaiah, who steps in that role, whatever, however small that role was? 28 snaps. I think Keyshawn will get him. Really? Yeah. Tell us why, because the Inside Carolina message board uh, people have been – He's another one of those guys. He gets plenty of discussion having not shown up yet. So why is Keyshawn getting out there? I think got to see what he can do. I think you got to keep giving him more chances just to see if he'll be able to pan out. He will get him. KBJ, Greg, is KBJ, Max said he's lost some weight. Is he in game shape and ready to play more than one or two snaps a game? We'll have to see. He hasn't played much. Um, but you know, if, if you lose a guy like Pender, who you do count on for some packages, uh, I don't think KBJ is going to be dropping back into coverage necessarily. So it may be a little bit different role. Uh, but me, he's a guy they feel like has made tremendous strides. And so it's, it is, I agree that you're talking about Silver and KBJ guys that they think can have impacts moving forward. It's just how much they can actually – help this year and especially it depends on christian varner as well you know varner uh, he's been banged up missed the last couple games if he's able to come back maybe that solves some of the issue in terms of playing time as well it's like my created player on ncaa 214 66 350 pounds safety name him clyde pender Greg taylor uh let me ask you a question i had it right here hold on a second Three-and-a-half-point underdog at Notre Dame. Why shouldn't I put my house on Notre Dame? Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a betting expert, but where, where Carolina has struggled is on the road in, in the night game settings. Um, I also don't subscribe to the, the, the Vegas nose. I think you're more inclined to realize when Vegas kind of – uh, when a team can keep it close like Carolina, and then you kind of default to the Vegas nose. But when you're looking at Carolina's games just this year, how many times have they lost as double-digit favorites? And you, you don't default back to the Vegas nose lines where it's, they clearly got the line wrong and um, we're, we're really off in, in those situations. But if, if I was a betting person, it, it would be hard for me to bet on Carolina knowing their track record on, on the road in night games. And uh, Notre, Notre Dame might not be the same team as they were last year, but I, I don't think Carolina is really even, you know, 70% of the team they were last year. So it's two teams where you, you don't really know what you expect. So the default, I guess, would be to side with the home team. I was Gregory. talking about this. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to ask you a question, but you go ahead. I was just saying, I was talking about the three and a half point favorite underdog or whatever with Ben Sherman earlier today. 
talking about just how ridiculous that was and crazy. And he looked at all the spreads and what the final result was. There has been one game where Vegas was off by less than 10 points either way. And it was the Miami game because UNC was seven and a half point favorites and they were off by four. And so they ended up being off by four and a half there. And UNC's three and four against the spread, but they were off by 12 and a half against Virginia Tech, 16 against Georgia State, 12 and a half against UVA, 37 and a half. That's a crazy number. 37 and a half against Georgia Tech, 11 and a half against Duke, 27 and a half against Florida State. So it's like, I mean, Bucks column this morning, it's or was it this morning? I guess I don't know. It's just like, what are you like? What do you, you can't expect anything. Or like the right thing. It's just crazy looking at the three and a half points, but yeah. So if sorry. you read between the tea leaves and Taylor's grin, if you're on the YouTube channel, bet the house, the farm, uh, the dog, even the better half, you probably get it all back 20 fold. If you're a betting person at Notre Dame, go ahead, Greg, ask Gregory uh, the question of the day. Well, in addition to Vip's point about UNC struggling on the road, Florida State's strength was what, Gregory? Against the running quarterback. No, defensively, Florida State's strength is what? Uh, up front. Up front. Isaiah, what is Notre Dame's defensive strength? Front. The front. Yeah. Um, Especially without Hamilton. Right. So, but this is in general, that's where they've had success. They've had a lot of ability to kind of rush the passer combine that with the the road game the night game situation uh yeah that that line is very tempting and gregory's right that the the point spreads have been way off but um it's yeah it's tempting yeah my prediction would be that uh vegas is going to make money so (laughs) (laughs) well i I think that's pretty sound (laughs) and and for those who for those who may not know Vegas doesn't know what Vegas knows is all they're trying to do is to get 50% of people to bet on this side, 50% of people to bet on that side. The reason why is, is that the house always wins 10%. So I if don't half think the people are going to get 50% of people betting you would see plus three and a half. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's they're to not I, be moving. I, they, they are right. Right. So that's the goal. 50% of the money here, 50% of the money here. Uh, and then you get the 10% cut and you, you can live quite well off 10%. But uh, it's interesting for sure. Greg, were you surprised that Mac said about the Notre Dame game last year in the press conference today? Were you surprised that he said, I knew we had no chance to win that game offensively? I don't think I've ever heard a coach admit that. He certainly or, hadn't. Not with Sam Howell, quarterback. Um, I mean, there's a lot of games that they've played with Sam, and as potent as this offense has been the last couple of years, it was a little bit surprising. He was right, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it was surprising. So there's a few more, and Greg, Gregory, I asked you to delete the ones we've answered. So oh, sorry, I've been occupied. Uh, so what did we get wrong? And I'm paraphrasing this question. And, Taylor, I'll ask you this. Because you were eleven and one in the preseason predictions too. Somebody got on me on the message boards, asked me, oh, "Yeah, how are your preseason predictions going?" And I was like, "Well, how are yours?" And they were like, "Well, I don't make them." I mean, you either 
expectations and predictions are very similar. So, Taylor, where were we wrong? Were we overrating the talent on the roster? Or is the coaching staff not developing and or getting enough out of the talent on the roster to cause um, you're, I think, 7-0 and at this point. I was definitely 7-0 at this point. <laughs> um, and reality says 4-3. and Wherein lies the rub there? Yeah, now thinking back, I don't even remember what, what my one loss was. But uh, I think you it was – You want me to pull it up again? Yeah, <laughs> oh, don't. While, while I'm figuring this out, uh, I think it's a combination of overrating the talent and then overrating the leadership coming back. I think you, you could talk about how much Carolina misses Javante Williams, Michael Carter, Tiami Brown. I think Carolina misses somebody like Michael Carter's presence in the locker room just as much as his ability as a running back, if, if not more, what he kind of brought to the locker room. And when, you, when you're looking at this Carolina team, it, it just feels like you're waiting for uh, some, some players to step up and, and be that vocal leader and be that person that can kind of take charge. Because like, like I said earlier, like leading by example is, is just doing your job. And from what I saw in the Florida State game on the sideline and what I saw from Georgia Tech on the sideline, it's a team that once things start going bad, they they're kind of looking around for somebody to step up and they just, they just look lost when, when things start going bad and things start spiraling out of control and you haven't really seen the ability to handle adversity and, um, and respond to, to the tough times. I think what was encouraging about the Miami game, even though you still saw some of the problems, is that this team ultimately did find a way to win. And it's something that for Carolina's perspective, you're hoping that they can continue to build on that. Um, while while the result while the, the process to the result might not have been the best, the result still matters at the end of the day. And it's something where you, you never really know the true impact of a win has for a locker room and kind of building guys' confidence up. Taylor, your one loss was this game. Notre Dame. Interesting. Man. So uh, <laughs> let, me, let me ask this question, then we're going to get in a couple quick fire these basketball questions people keep asking. Greg, can – talent at what point does talent overcome lack of leadership lack of leadership ah i don't know that it can i mean look at miami right look at florida state plenty of talent on those teams there are plenty of teams that have a boatload of talent i mean look at all the sec right i mean yeah you've got alabama and georgia at the top but even teams like South Carolina have recruited well and have you know, top 25 classes pretty much every single year. And yet that's a middling program at best, right? Uh, and so, yes, it's about competition. Yes, it's about coaches, but it's also about leadership. And so I don't know that that talent can overcome poor leadership. I, I think there's so many things that come into play. Now, if we're talking about talent versus an FCS opponent, well, sure or against a bad ACC team, sure. But against decent competition, I mean, just like average power five competition, I don't think you can, especially when you have coaches like 
I know people are g- give me grief for, for liking some of the coaches in the ACC, but Bronco Mendenhall, we all watched the game in Chapel Hill a couple weeks ago. That defense is not very good. Yeah, Virginia's six and two, right? And if things fall their way, they have a chance to win the Coastal. Um, but it's not because of talent. It's because of development, because of leadership. Same with Wake Forest. I mean, Wake Forest doesn't blow you off the page with talent, but they're incredibly well coached. They have a lot of veteran guys. They have good leadership. Everybody's bought in. I mean, what Taylor was saying about 2015 team is incredibly important. Um, so and I, 2014 I was not that much difference talents wise to 2015 and 2000 y'all weren't good. And what, what was the difference? I mean, the, the whole conversation after that 2014 season, right? I mean, I, I was there in, in Detroit, uh, and there's a couple guys in post game, post post game press conferences that were standing 15 feet apart. And we're kind of looking at each other and making jabs. And it was to this day, that was the strangest thing I've ever seen in a post-game setting where teammates clearly did not like each other. Uh, and what happened that offseason? And that's when Fedora brought everybody in, everybody aired their grievances. And I'm, you know, Taylor can dive into that as much as you want, Tommy. Uh, but whatever it was, it worked. And as he as Taylor laid out earlier, I mean, the team was together, the leadership was elite. And you had a ton of success. So, so I, I don't know that talent can overcome poor leadership. You mentioned Virginia talent, Greg. The ESPN FPI is kind of like a forward and like their SP plus, like forward predictive. Virginia is 27th and they have a shot to win the Coastal, right? Miami, I mean, I guess they technically still have a shot to win the Coastal because they haven't played any conference games, but they're 26th and UNC's. 29th are any of us taking unc or i mean i guess unc beat virginia but like at this stage you know like are they it's i think that speaks to kind of what you were saying as far as talent and why they're doing so so well right now and why like the rate the metrics and all that still like unc because of the talent on the field not necessarily how they've played right so far yes Vipolis. Yeah, two two more things from uh, Greg's point about the the 2015 off season. The besides like the Marine program coming in, I think uh, one of the biggest things was Coach Fedora. Um, he met with every player individually, and the you could either have a conversation with him about you know what you could do to um, kind of reach your potential as a football player or what you thought the team could be doing better. So I think that was um, kind of like kind of unique where a coach in this position of power was willing to listen to everybody. Like I was not going to contribute one snap on that field in, in 2015, but, you know, coach Fedora still met with me for an hour to kind of talk about what problems I saw, what I thought the team could be doing better, what I would kind of change if, if I was the one running the team. So for him to kind of, um, let me have a voice and say what I wanted to say um, in terms of how the team would have success. I think that was something that you you saw the next year on the team where everybody felt like they had a voice and everybody had a, a, a part of the success. And then the other thing that really helped the 2015 team was when 
uh, Coach Fedora brought in Coach Chiswick because, you know, this was a coach that we saw win a national championship on TV when we were going through the recruiting process or we were going through middle school or high school, whenever it was. And it was, it was almost a validation where the 2014 season obviously didn't go the way anybody really wanted to, but here was a coach who kind of saw something in us that maybe we didn't see at the time. And it was, it was almost like everybody uh, locked in again to say like, if this coach won a national championship, and he's spending his time coming over from ESPN, a, a cushy job at ESPN. And he thinks th there's something special about this group that obviously he must see something in us that we don't see right now. So I think when you combine everything that kind of happened the 2015 season, um, it was it was almost like the perfect buildup between leadership, the coaches and everybody kind of having a, a an extra buy in factor. All right. Start with Isaiah, work my way through the room. We'll wrap up this football discussion for this week. Of course, we'll be back next week, same time. And I'm going to get to a couple of basketball questions after this. But uh, Isaiah, what is one problem that you believe can be fixed for this team um, realistically in the bye week going into the Notre Dame game that Carolina can correct and play much better the last half of the season? Think spreading the ball around in the air if the trust is if they spent the bye week somehow creating relationships between Sam and every other receivers outside of downs. I think that's something that can easily be fixed. It's just a matter of chemistry and getting it done and actually doing it. I agree with that, Gregory. Tackling on defense, I think maybe the I don't know if it, if necessarily a lot of it was fatigue. It certainly looked like it at times. So maybe getting fully healthy on the defense and really understanding why missed tackles were happening. I think that's something that can easily be turned around and can be, be fixed moving forward. And you just kind of need that break to be to be like, look, we're better than this. We know how to tackle. We know how to appropriately bring down our guy. Um, not the necessarily getting juked and whatnot, because I mean, that's more on the off the guy on offense rather than the guy on defense, but the simple guys just stepping out of wrap ups can't happen. Um, and I think the bye week's a good time to look at those and be like, okay, why is this happening and get them fixed? Yeah, I would, I would echo what Isaiah said and say the, the receivers. I think um, if, if Sam Howell, you know, shows a little more trust in somebody like Anton green, you know, he went to him one time, the Miami game and it was for a huge play. So if he can connect with him early, kind of uh, build that confidence and build that trust that this offense can start to open up because the bracket coverages are coming for, for Josh Downs. And I think you saw that against Miami where they were a lot more effective in the second half um, in their defensive strategy, knowing that, Hey, we're not going to put Josh Downs one-on-one -on -one thinking our athletes are better than yours because that's a matchup. They're going to lose. Uh, you know, 95% of the time and it's, tr it's forcing somebody else to beat you. And if somebody like Anton green or Emory Simmons can kind of start to win on the outside, then this offense starts to open up. And it, it seems crazy to say that this offense isn't really that close to uh, realizing its full potential when they're putting up 45 points. But I think that overall speaks to how talented this group can be with who they have. And especially with who they have at, quarterback with Sam Howell being probably the best quarterback in school history. Greg. 
All right. Just wanted to make sure the question is issues and how they can be fixed. One thing that can be fixed at this point in the season so they're better the back half. And, Greg and, wants to fix all the issues. Well, my thing is this. They could be much better the back half of the season and not win because of the competition ramps up. Go ahead, Greg. That's a great point, Tommy. The team can play significantly better the last five games and you not be able to tell. Uh, I, I'll take the easy out and I'll put it, I'll take it off the players. Coaching. Coaches need to do a better job connecting with the players. Jay Bateman's right. It is about execution. That falls at the feet of the coaches. Um, if you watch Jason Staples and Mike Ingersoll kind of break down some of the, the OL blocking issues, a lot of that is coaching. Um, it's technique. It's making sure that the players understand what they're supposed to be doing. If the player's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, put his rear end on the bench. Um, I think that's how this team can make strides the rest of the way. Uh, yes, the players have to play better, but I think the coaches have to be able to connect and have to be able to encourage and motivate the players to elevate their play. And if that can happen, North Carolina can win some of these games. I agree with everything you guys have said. I think accountability, um, to Greg's point, needs to be real. And if you're doing the same thing over and over and it's not correct, you got to see it and play somebody else. And I'd rather see somebody get a chance to do it wrong than see somebody do it wrong over and over and over. And I agree 100% it rely or it falls on the lap of the coaches. I've been saying that um, for quite some time. And I also think Ty Chandler out of the backfield catching balls could really open up this offense. Um, he's always open, you know, on wheels or out in the flat. And we've talked about him in the preseason. That was one of his things that he could do. Um, and the one big chance he's gotten with that, he outran everybody to the house. So it's just uh, it needs to come together. I don't know if it necessarily can come together just over one bye week during the season, but I think this team could be a lot better than they've shown. And like I just said before Greg commented, I think it might not show in the win-loss column, um, especially at a team like Notre Dame. Anyway, let me ask a couple basketball questions. Greg, please explain to folks why we do not have a score of the UF-UNC secret scrimmage game and why those uh, details have been so hard to come by. Well, UNC uh, made sure that, that Florida didn't – uh, share too many details, uh, but they, these are supposed to be secret scrimmages just in accordance with the NCAA, You're not supposed to publicize them. And so different schools have different takes on what that means. Some schools are more likely to, to share information. Uh, but I think what we've seen with Hubert is he's trying to keep everything as close to the vest as possible uh, to prevent other teams kind of getting an idea of exactly what he's wanting to do. Everybody knows he's going to a more, uh, you know, four out, one in type of system. Uh, but it just seems like he's keeping a lot of this stuff pretty close to the vest so that teams are going to have to watch a lot of film once games start and they're not going to get too much of a head start. I, I think that's, that's at the root of all this. And maybe to tamp down some expectations because he might have learned what the football team went through <laughs> with expectations that were through the roof. I think they're going to be pretty good. All right, around the room, can't say the same person. So if you go first, you have the whole roster except one. Isaiah, who's the most important basketball player not named Armando? 
Ah, see, I was going to say that was one that he can't mess up. But all right, go ahead, Isaiah. Um, Caleb, <laughs> I think it's going to be Caleb Love. Oh, why did you give it to Isaiah first? Because I, I like him better than you. <laughs> you. And you're going last from now. Vip. Not yeah, named Armando, tough. not named Caleb, and tell me why. Who, who, what's the exact question? The co- I don't know the I mean, exact question. Who is the most? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't have an exact question. I don't know. He I said most him. important player, not named Armando, and now not named Armando nor Caleb Love. All right, so I'll go. I'll go uh, Justin McCoy just because I think <sighs> y- you know what you're going to get from the bigs. The bigs are going to be the strength of this team. You have somebody like Caleb Love coming back, where Carolina has really struggled the past couple of years. Ever since really Cam Johnson left, is is on the wing. Um, so I would say Justin McCoy, and he kind of has that potential to be a, a three and D type guy and. Uh, be a guy that you can kind of plug in right away. Interesting. Greg. <laughs> I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave Gregory a gift and I'm going to go with uh, Brady Manning. And the reason I say that is for, for this new offensive approach where, where you're really stretching the floor and uh, maximizing Armando Baycott in the paint as your, your primary option. Uh, Manic has to be a legitimate three point shooter. And all indications are that he is. And if he can crash the boards a little bit, he's going to get a ton of playing time. Um, and I think just his ability to kind of slide out and hit those corner threes is going to be pivotal for, for Hubert Davis to showcase, hey, this is what we want this program to be moving forward. Uh, I think Brady's a, a very sharp kid. Um, I think he's going to be a good addition to this team. And, and I think for, for everything to kind of play out the way Hubert wants it to, he's got to be a key piece, especially on the perimeter. I agree with Greg, by the way. No matter who you say, Gregory, I agree with Greg. I think Manic's going to be a beast for this team and this offense. Who you got, Gregory? Well, I guess I have I have to pick Kerr and Walton now, right? Is that the gift Greg is giving to. me? You have to, yes. Well, um, I was expecting here... you to pick Kerwin, so then I had already kind of formulated my answer um, for Dawson Garcia, but I'll okay. give my I'll give my answer because tell you so, what, you give us you give us a breakdown of each of why you think. Okay, so Dawson, I originally, when I had watched the open practice, was kind of thinking that Brady Manick was going to be kind of a six-man off the bench. But kind of after watching him in the late-night scrimmage and reading Sherelle's breakdown of that, it makes complete sense to have Manick and Armando together at the four and the five in the starting lineup. So then, in my head, that most likely leaves a playmaker and a versatile guy who can defend probably three, four and five and Dawson Garcia in that role. So that's why he was going to be my next most important guy, because if he can come, I mean, six man is super crucial. Come off the bench can provide a spark. If Hubert either needs a change because someone's not performing or just to give guys a spell, um, if you can have six guys that you can fully trust, basically having six starters almost, that's huge. And so that's why Dawson was going to be my answer. Now, as far as Kerwin, Kerwin's really the only guy that we've seen, still seen in a Carolina uniform that can consistently shoot the ball. And so, yes, we know that Caleb's, I mean, Caleb's numbers pretty much can't get worse than they did last year. Um, I mean, I guess they could technically, but I think that'd be very hard. Caleb shows that he can shoot the ball. 
Manic, obviously, Greg just gave his answer on that. Like there's other shooters on this floor, but the guy that has done it and needs to continue to do it is Kerwin. But it's also more than just his shooting. He needs to show that the defenses can't just put a hand in his face and then he's done. You've got, you've got to defend it. He needs to be able to create his own shot for himself if necessary. Um, and I think that kind of can, if he can do that and get even more attention on him than just when he's off the ball, then that'll open up the floor for other guys even more so. And so then there's my Kerwin answer. We'll talk a lot more about basketball next week. We'll have a half and half show, but let me ask the group who leads the team in three point shooting. Percentage, percentage or makes percentage? Erwin. Okay. Erwin. Arm- Armando. Percentage. Armando. Nah, you gotta have at least yeah, twenty-five makes. If Armando oh. makes twenty-five threes on the season, Carolina's in the final four. He made two in the. <laughs> he made two in the four four-minute video they released. Don't watch highlights. You can't. You can't rely on the highlights. It's like a mixtape on YouTube. Remember what do you mean list? you can't? The highlights come from the games, Tommy. Uh, Isaiah, who leads the team? Kerwin. You say Kerwin too, Greg? Mm-hmm. I did. Lip, you think it's Kerwin? Yeah, this is Kerwin, and it's almost uh, identical to the Tamon Fox, Des Evans preseason conversation where I've seen Kerwin shoot before, so I'm going to go with Kerwin. I'm going to say right, well, Brady Manic. Well, that's why I am taking Brady Manic, Vip. <laughs> so nice. We got two Manics, three Kerwins. Uh, Sherelle. Or RJ, got? actually. I might Sherelle, take RJ. Sherelle's in the chat. He just retracted his message, so we don't know. Um, who leads the team in rebounding? It's got to be Armando, right? By far. Yep. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you got to have a four out one in and your only in is Armando, who else is getting – I mean, guys are getting rebounds, but like – I don't know. Justin McCoy can get into rebounds. I'm not so sure. Well, I'm not going there. Armando might average double-digit rebounds. Anybody else averaging double-digit rebounds on this team? No. Mm-mm. All right, Greg. Oh, Greg basketball. I'll let you start, Gregory, on this, and we'll go around the room quickly because we got to get out of here. We've been on this hour and a half. Now, Greg's, get, Greg's getting impatient. Greg's getting antsy. Uh, I've Gregory. been traveling for 12 hours. Hey, Come on, Rail man. just <laughs> – No one – you've been in London. Shut up. Rail, Rail just commented. Rail Kerwin. loves Kerwin. That seems like a meme we need to make. Uh Gregory, if you if Dawson Garcia is your sixth guy, who's starting? Quick. Caleb, Kerwin, Justin, McCoy, Manic, Armando is the five I would roll out in this current moment. Isaiah, who's starting? Same five. I, I think that would yeah, that same five. You got that, Greg? Yep. Taylor. I'll play uh, devil's advocate here. And I think that if I had to start the season right now, it would, I would switch um, Garcia and Manic. I think Manic is a little more susceptible um, on the defensive side of the ball where the team can go at him early, get him in foul trouble. And I think he, he kind of poses um, more mismatches coming off the bench and being that kind of offensive spark plug off the bench. So uh, if if I had to play devil's advocate, I would go Garcia starting at the four uh, with Manic kind of being that super sub off the bench. I do think a lineup that we see very often is um, Caleb, RJ, 
Kerwin, and then a mixture of Dawson, um, Manic, and Baycott. Because, I mean, Hubert said he wants RJ and Caleb on the floor together, and they seem to be on the floor together a lot against Florida in that video and the highlights. So I think that's yeah, something was, that we could see. I don't know if it's a starting lineup, though. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Do you think RJ slides in there, pushes Kerwin to the three, and then McCoy to the bench? Um, or McCoy it, to the four. Uh, I don't know if you can do that and defend. Uh, maybe. Maybe you can. He's a I mean, little bigger McC- than I thought he was. He's the, he, he might be the best defender, so I think you can. What about do you, Greg? Do you think Hubert's a guy that will have a starting lineup and stick to it, short of you know, like Roy was going to start Leaky Black? Did not matter. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating to watch how it all plays out. Uh, Dean Dean was pretty consistent with his lineups, not to the extent that that Roy was, um, and that's kind of what he knows. But it's a new day in Chop Wheel, right? I 100% agree with that. Sherelle said the scrimmage starting lineup was Love, Davis, Walton, Manic, Baycott. So no McCoy. But he says that's just that was just the scrimmage starting lineup. So Sherelle, you can give us the scrimmage starting lineup, but you can't give us a final score. Man. <laughs> Don't get the man in trouble. Uh <laughs> I, I do think it'll be a, a, a learning process for everybody involved, Hubert included, and and a the season is rough. There are very little um, ease into it, and I think the ACC is going to be the usual thing. Like I said, we'll talk more basketball next week. Um, I'm going to wrap this show. Anybody got anything else? Vip, um, number one, what was the best thing you did overseas? Uh, Sunday I went to the Tottenham West Ham, two London clubs. Uh, that, that was awesome. And then the Arsenal match on Friday. Big soccer fan, big football fan, I should say. I'll say wait a second. So, I, uh, what is it like seeing football over there versus watching it over here? Uh, I would say the it they like live and breathe by it over there, and the there's absolutely no love lost between the two supporting the two supporting sections. Where uh, once once a, a goal happens. They're they're ready to run over to the other supporting section and start getting in fights. It was it was kind of jarring to watch, and they're a lot more uh, loose with the vocabulary that they kind of throw towards uh, opposing supporters. So basically, a Virginia Tech football game. Got it. <laughs> All right, boys. I uh, had to throw in a Virginia Tech grab shot. It's been fun. Uh, we've been sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Remember, if you subscribe to the Insight Crew on the YouTube channel, you can ask the questions in the chat. Um, been keeping up with it. A lot of good questions, a lot of good comments. We appreciate you guys that are hardcore watchers. Bring a friend next time. Um, tell them how fun it is. Tell them how much you enjoy it. At some point um, in the next few weeks, we're going to switch to Thursday at 8 due to basketball games being on Tuesday. But we'll keep it here next week. Tuesday night, 9 o'clock, Inside Carolina's YouTube channel for live on the beat. Greg Barnes, Isaiah Lucas, Gregory Hall, and Taylor Vipolis fresh in. The Uber wheels didn't stop rolling. He jumped out, got right here on this podcast. It's been a pleasure for everybody. Thanks, boys. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. 
Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that will elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here.